0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. Like Jeremy said, happy Easter. We are really glad that you guys are here to worship with us this morning. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the campus pastor here at Church in the Valley Alhambra, and it's a great day to celebrate uh, Easter on this beautiful day. And uh, like Jeremy said, if you've not had a chance yet, I encourage you right following the service. uh, We have some uh, picture booth where you can take uh, family pictures or pictures with uh, those close to you. And we're going to send those to you uh, tomorrow as just an email, just kind of a way of saying thanks for coming. And uh, like Jeremy mentioned as well, we do have a free gift for all guests today. Make sure you grab that, the Case for Easter, uh, on, on your way out. Uh, today we are launching a new series called Aftermath, and you can see uh, the image here on the screen. And this image represents a lot of times how life can feel, uh, like you can feel in the middle of... Maybe some, some ocean, some trouble, some problems around you. And sometimes you're left just in the wake of all of that, wondering how do you pick up the pieces? How do you move forward in life? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how do you, in the middle of the aftermath, kind of pick up the pieces and make the right progress? Uh, I don't know about you, but I can find myself many times in situations like this where I'm struggling to see where that light is. And how do I kind of get out of my circumstances? And so we're going to be talking about how to not just relive the same circumstances over and over, but to actually think differently. And when we think differently, how to do differently and how to experience a different kind of life. And we kick that series off today on Easter because a relationship with Jesus and following Jesus makes all the difference in the aftermath that we find ourselves in. And the definition of aftermath, just so we're all on the same page, according to the dictionary, is this. It's the consequences or after effects of a significant, unpleasant event. So any anytime in our life where we've experienced something unpleasant, something that we don't want, something that we've maybe done and we regretted that we've done or something that was done to us and we just kind of find ourselves in the midst of the rubble, that's the aftermath. And we experience that in life. We also see that in the world through, like, natural disasters. In 2016, in Italy, there was a terrible earthquake. You could see that's the before and after. Same exact town square, uh, the aftermath of that earthquake. And you can see that they're left with just rubble. And in 2005, Hurricane Katrina. In 2005, on the left, that's what happened. And then in 2015, 10 years later, that's what it looked like, rebuilt that same area. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I want picture on the right in my life. I want it to all be together all the time. But many times we experience this on the left. Just it feels like we're underwater or it feels like just things aren't quite put together. So we're going to talk about how to in the middle of the aftermath, feeling like we're under it. How do we make progress? And for us, there's different aftermaths that we experience. And so I'm just going to kind of go over some that I thought of that I've experienced in my own life that I've seen in the lives of others. In ministry and and all sorts of different things and see if you can relate to any of these that that you've experienced. Uh, Sometimes we have the aftermath in our relationships. Uh, That is, maybe we're parenting kids and there's just a lot of conflict that exists. Even at a young age, there just can be conflict in family life. Oftentimes you get ready for church and on the way to church, you experience conflict. Maybe even today on Easter Sunday, you were stressed out. But sometimes in our relationships with our kids, Or a relationship with our parents, the vice versa of that. There's just a lot of pressure and there's just a sense in which, man, it just feels like it's falling apart. Or sometimes in our marriages or with those that we're really close to, whether it's a spouse or a loved one, there's just conflict, disagreements all the time. It's just this aftermath of our relationships. We can experience the aftermath in our finances too. Have you ever made a decision and you just bought something on a whim just because you wanted it and then you thought back and said, that was a really, really bad decision. I don't know why I've done that. Am I the only one? Now, we, we've done that a lot, right? We make a decision based on impulse, based on what we want, and financially we can get ourselves into trouble. We can be in the aftermath. We can also just be in aftermath when we experience loss. That could be the death of somebody close to us, somebody that we know, and, and we just feel under that burden. We just feel buried under it. Or we can feel the loss of, of a goal or a dream, something that we really want, and we have our hopes set on it. And through circumstances and through things that we've done, through things that other people have done, we don't get to experience it. And so through all these things, we can experience that, which is called like the aftermath. And sometimes we're just left and we look at the rubble and we look at our circumstances and we think, what do we do? All we see is devastation. And so today we want to talk about how hope can be restored because of the exact reason that we celebrate Easter. The fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again, that gives us a hope that can restore anything that we've experienced or anything that we experience right now, whether it's the past or whether it's the present that we find ourselves in. And so I want to kind of start with this main idea, and that is in the aftermath of life's events, Jesus steps in to bring hope. He did that over 2000 years ago. And that same hope that his followers experienced, we can experience today. So no matter what you're facing, whether it's frustration, whether it's conflict, whether it's apathy, or if it's just like, I just am in the grind of life and I hope it gets better. Wherever you are, this I hope you can experience. In the aftermath of life's events, whatever you're going through, Jesus actually steps in. And I want to talk about this actually going back to the first Easter. And that is what happened to those and the aftermath of those that closely followed Jesus, his his disciples. And Jesus came and lived a life on earth over 2000 years ago, and he had a ministry where he was talking to people about the kingdom of God, talking to people about him and his identity and his purpose for three years. And in his ministry, he wanted people to get this sense of what the kingdom of God stood for, this movement that he wanted to be a part of. And he wanted to change the lives of all those who followed him. And so he had a group called the disciples. These were people close to him, 12 people who decided they wanted to live life the way Jesus said. They wanted to follow his commands. They wanted to follow him where he went. They left all that they had to follow him. And they learned his ways and they learned about his commands and they saw him make a difference with people And this through time. Over the course of these three years, this this momentum gathered. He talked about the kingdom of God and they clung to these promises that he represented. But oftentimes what we fail to realize as we look about the life of Jesus is what happened exactly when Jesus died to all those who followed him. What, What was what they were thinking of? and What were they going through? See, for those close to Jesus, they experienced an aftermath that, that I can only imagine. They put all their hopes in this Messiah that they thought was going to come and change the world. They left everything they had to follow him. And then he died. Not only did he die, but he, he was actually crucified. He was accused. He was brought to trial falsely. And his life was taken. And all those who followed him, as you can imagine, all the hope they had died when he died. And so I want to talk about a specific character called Thomas in the scriptures, in the book of John of the New Testament. Because Thomas represents this dashed hope that we sometimes can experience in life. This idea that it's just just falling apart. Everything that we wanted to happen hasn't happened. As you can imagine, the disciples had this great vision of what following Jesus would be like and what it would become. And when he died, all that was taken from them. So what began to happen is Jesus died on a Friday. And on the Saturday, all hope was gone. And they scattered. And they weren't sure what their life was going to be like. They were disillusioned. They were frustrated. I can imagine they were just hopeless. All that they had hoped in, Jesus was now dead. So on the Saturday, all hope was dashed. Then on the Sunday, if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus' resurrection, some people, some women actually went to the tombstone where he was laid. Actually, it was like a cave with a huge rock rolled in front of it so no one could get in. And they went, and the rock was moved And inside, there was no body. And so what began to happen in the aftermath of this devastation, of this hope lost, was this rumblings of this resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. And these rumblings were happening, and they were beginning to spread amongst the disciples. And then he visited certain people. He he visited some women first, the ones who came to see him in the tomb, but he wasn't there. He visited his disciples. But there was one disciple named Thomas who some call Doubting Thomas. Now in history, if your name is Doubting Thomas, you're kind of known for something that may not be the best, but that name is appropriate for what we're going to discover today. The reason it's important is in the devastation of what Thomas was experiencing, he's a lot like us, which is we're kind of skeptical. It's hard for us to believe things, especially in this day and age. We can't see it. We don't want to believe it. If we can't know it, it, we can't just get this eye, just our mind around it, our eyes around it. It doesn't make sense to us. So Thomas represents us, the, the, the skeptical, those who, who want proof. And so he begin to hear of, of this, this resurrection of the one that they place their hopes in. And in John 20, 24 through 29, we get this account. And this is Thomas talking. And this is a description of him. It says, now, Thomas... One of the twelve called the twin. That was another name. So, Downing Thomas, plus he was called the twin. Downing Thomas didn't come later till we hear this story. Called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, Thomas was one of the disciples. And what he's saying is, I put my whole life and trust in following Jesus, and he is no longer here. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not just going to believe that he's risen because you tell me. Unless I see the very scars on his hand and the scars on his side, and even if I can feel it, that's the only way that that I'm going to believe. So you can see kind of the midst of the despair that he found himself in. And then in verse 26, uh, the story goes on It says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So now Thomas is kind of with the whole group again. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Very interesting. The doors are locked. Jesus, who is supposed to be dead, now appears in the room and you have no idea he's there. And what's the first thing he says? Peace be with you. You think there's a reason? They were freaked out. The last thing they're thinking is peace. They're like, what is going on? This is the person who died. And not only that, but even if he's alive, we've locked the doors and he's inside with them. So I just like how the casual peace be with you. I can see you're shaking all of you. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, so it's, it's, you know, peace be with you all. And then he just looks at Thomas and I bet you Thomas is thinking, oh, no. I wonder if Jesus knows what I said. And lo and behold, he did. And he says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Now, if I'm Thomas, I'm thinking like, you know, I, I didn't mean it. You know, it was just me and the guys we were just kidding around. I didn't mean it. And he's just like, no, put, put your finger here. He's referring to the wound from the nail that was driven in his hand. Put your finger here. The wound from the sword that pierced his side. Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Right then, you see that the hope was restored in Thomas. He wanted proof, he wanted to see it. He wouldn't believe it unless he could see it. And Jesus appeared and said, Peace be with you. Now, Thomas, look at my hands, look at my side. They were pierced for you, and I was dead, but now I'm alive, and I'm here. And this last statement, my Lord and my God, is this settled of you are who you say you are, and you're here in my midst. No matter the skeptic, the despair, the disappointment, I now know you are right here. And then 29, Jesus said one further thought to Thomas. He says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Now this is where the story shifts. Because Jesus is now talking to the group that have never seen Him but still believe. That's for us. And that's what we celebrate in Easter. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to those that followed Him. So we may know that He is really who He said He is. So we may believe that he is who he says he is. And so Thomas on that day, his, his hopelessness was replaced with a deep hope. And the story of Thomas in church history is that from that moment, he decided that he was going to extend the story of this Jesus who he had followed, who he had then just been lost when he died, to then deciding, you are my Lord and you are my God. He actually took the good news of who Jesus was as the risen God, to the ends of the earth. And there's stories that trace Thomas's steps of sharing the good news all the way to India from the Middle East. And in fact, there's memorials in India to this day are supposedly where Thomas was martyred and died for his faith. So you see this great picture of somebody in the aftermath, in the skeptical, in the disillusionment, in the disappointment and despair, everything that they faced, everything he was going through, At the point that he saw Jesus for who he said he was. And he believed in him. His whole life was transformed from the rubble in the aftermath to this new purpose he was given. And it made a difference in the world. And that's what you find today. It's the same for all those who decide to follow Jesus. If you come to the point where you investigate Christianity and believe that it's real. And that it celebrates a real God who died and rose again. And you can be saved because of that. If you investigate that and decide to follow Jesus, your life will be transformed as well. And that's why today as we're talking about the aftermath and the calamity we can experience, that's the only real hope we can have. That through Jesus, we can rebuild. No matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, no matter what we've experienced. With Jesus, we can rebuild. And I want to encourage you, if you've never investigated... Who Jesus is, and you're here and you're thinking, okay, I've never really heard this stuff before. I encourage you to investigate because his resurrection is a historical account that's been documented and can be researched. And just like Thomas, you can get your mind around the account and decide for yourself. And the case for Easter, that book that we're giving away, is a great place to start. It was actually written by a man named Lee Strobel. You'll see it up here on the screen. And he was a journalist who was an atheist. And he actually had an assignment where he wanted to, with all his research and capabilities and time and resources, he wanted to dispute that Jesus was really who he was. He wanted to kind of prove that this whole Jesus thing in Christianity was false. And in the middle of this research, in the middle of this pursuit to prove it's wrong, he became a Christian. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and this book is related to that, and it's how can the resurrection of Jesus be something that we can experience, and if it's real, what are the implications of that? So, if you've never read that, that's a great place to start if you're interested in investigating uh, Christianity. And so, I want to I want to shift gears. Once you're at the point where you're either decided you want to investigate or you decide, well, I, I need to consider something, uh, I want to just talk through what are the implications for all of us if we actually do believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And if we do believe that he's worthy of us following him, that is to lay down our life and our agenda and our priorities to pursue him. If that were real, if that were true, what would that mean for us? And so for the rest of our time today, I just want to talk about that because I want to make this not just theory, the difference that Easter makes, but I want to show you in three specific ways how hope can be restored because of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take you on a, on a quick journey of that. Okay. So first, when we believe uh, in Jesus, we receive three things according to the Scriptures. The first is we can experience and receive a new life. In the verses following what I just read, the account of Thomas, this is what we find from John who wrote the book of John. And it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this idea of the scriptures is saying that there's so many things that Jesus did that aren't even contained in the scriptures. But the things that are in the scriptures are written there so that you may see who Jesus is and believe that it is real and that He is real. So the things are written are for our benefit so that we can know who God is. Now you kind of, if you're like me, you kind of like,
1: wow, I wonder what all that stuff is.
0: We don't know. What we do know is there's so many stuff in the Bible that we can actually build our life on. And that's what John's writing here. We can build our life on who God is based on what's revealed in the Scriptures so we may have life in his name. I want to talk a little bit about belief. Belief is such a common buzzword, right? It's just something that you hear all the time. I can do something. Why can you do it? Because I just believe. And sometimes belief is like a feeling. It's a hope. It's a sense we have. You just have to believe. Sometimes I I don't really know what what does that actually mean? In the scriptures, when it talks about believing in Jesus, it's more than a feeling. And if you're like new to church, you may think like Christians are just the strange group that just kind of feel a certain way. But belief in scripture is never just feelings. And it's actually not just hope. It's much more than that. Believing in Jesus means that you trust him with your life. That's what belief is. You trust him with your life. And I want to illustrate this in a kind of random way. You guys ready for this? All right. You guys are still with me. You're awake, right? Right at least for five more minutes. But I want to illustrate this through a character called Charles Bolden. He's actually not a character. He's a real man. If you have his picture up here, he was a man that lived in the 1800s. Anyone ever heard of him, Charles Bolden? So I could just say whatever I want. He was a tightrope walker in the 1800s. Now, that day and age, they didn't have all the cool like YouTube, social media, internet. So it's like entertainment's like, hey, let's set a rope between two canyons and have a guy walk and let's like, gather crowds. That's what he did for fun on the weekend. Charles Boland was this guy that he was the best tightrope walker. And he would do stunts and perform in front of people. And there's some things that he did in his routine that are helpful for us to understand this idea of belief. So there's this picture. And then we're going to watch a little animated sketch about him and his antics. And then I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Let's watch it together.
1: Dean was a famous tightrope walker and acrobat. He's perhaps best known for his many crossings of the tightrope, 1,100 feet in length, suspended 160 feet above Niagara Falls in the USA. His act would be watched by large crowds. and begin with a relatively simple cost on using a balancing pole. Then he would throw away the pole and amazed the omelette on one occasion he crossed the tightrope on stilts on another occasion blindfolded another time he stopped halfway to cook and an omelette in 1860 a royal party from england came to watch blondin perform After his normal spectacular crossings, he then wheeled a wheelbarrow from one side to the other as the crowd cheered. Next, he put a sack of potatoes into the wheelbarrow and wheeled that across, the crowd cheered louder. Then he approached the royal party and asked the duke of Newcastle, Do you believe that I could take a man across the tightrope in this wheelbarrow? Yes, I do, said the duke. Ah, Robin! replied Blondin. The crowd fell silent, but the Duke of Newcastle would not accept Blondin's challenge. Is there anyone else here who believes I could do it? asked Blondin. No one was willing to volunteer. Eventually, An old woman stepped out of the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. Blondin wheeled her all the way across and all the way back. The old woman was Blondin's mother. The only person willing to put her life in his hands.
0: Wait for it. Okay, there we go. So that, that, that's, that's Blondin. Best, you know, anytime you do a routine, you always need to have somebody there just in case. And smart man. Mom, I might need to call on you again today. <laughs> I might need you to get into the wheelbarrow. The reason I wanted to show that is not just so you could learn about tightrope walking from the 1800s. That might be all that you remember, right? But that picture of getting into the wheelbarrow is what belief is in the Scriptures. It's the idea that you trust Jesus with your life, that you're willing to follow Him and get into the wheelbarrow as He as He leads your life. That's what faith is. It's the idea of belief and faith. It's trusting with your life. Just like those people, they weren't willing to put their life in His hands except His mom. When you become a Christian, you experience a new life where you're actually willing to jump in the wheelbarrow and the reason that you do that is you get to the point where you realize you can't get across the rope by yourself right wouldn't that be the only reason that we would do that is if our life depended on the fact that we can't get from here to there and if there's destruction on this side and that side is safety the only reason we would cross and allow him to push us is because we would experience death on this side but according to the scriptures we we actually experience that death because of our sin and we experience the aftermaths. when we experience just the problems because of sin and the wrong that we've done. When we believe in Jesus, it's this idea that we realize that through our own effort, through our own goodness, or our own good works, we cannot cross the canyon of our sin. We're separated from God. We can't get across the rope. If I tried to tight rope walk, I would be in trouble. I wouldn't even attempt it. But that's sometimes how it is. And the reality of our sin is we, we think that we can get across by our own goodwill, by our own good works. But we, we can't. We'll just fall. And so to believe in Jesus and experience this new life is saying that on this side, I can't have new life by myself. The only life I can experience that's new and real and I can be saved from my own self is through trust, trusting in Jesus. So that's what this belief is referring to. It's, It's getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting God with your entire life. So that's that's the idea of belief. And that's what you can experience when you decide to follow Jesus. There's two other things. The second is you can experience a new identity. Okay, so you experience a new life that comes first. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You automatically have a new life in the scriptures. That's called being born again. Spiritually, like you were dead because of sin. Any of us, if we've ever done wrong, we're dead spiritually. But when you turn to Jesus and decide to trust Him with your life and believe in Him, you can experience new life and a new identity. There's another character I just want to talk about really quickly from the New Testament of the Bible as well. And he's Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wasn't one of the original 12, but he was somebody who started churches in the New Testament and in fact was the main catalyst in the spread of Christianity. And Paul wrote letters to churches that he had started encouraging them to learn what it means to be a Christian in this world, in this time, they had no idea of what it means to be a Christian. They didn't know what it was. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them weren't. And this new movement of Christianity was was fresh. They didn't have a picture of it. And so Paul wrote the New Testament to help them get a grasp of what it meant to be a Christian. And so he gave encouragement. And he gave challenge and he gave warning. He wanted them to have a picture of what this new life and new identity was. Now, the thing about Paul is that he himself experienced this new identity. He was somebody who actually persecuted Christians before he was Christian. He had his hand in the murder of the early Christians. He wanted to squelch the movement. He was a zealot Jew. Christianity was a threat. So he did all in his power to kind of stop this movement that Jesus represented. And Jesus got a hold of him on one day. He was traveling and on the road to Damascus, God said, why are you persecuting me? And basically changed his life. And from that moment on, he went from persecuting the church to being the main person who moved it forward. I want to give all this context because that new identity shaped so much of what Paul wrote about in the New Testament of the Bible. He had experienced it. He had experienced trying to earn favor with God himself. He had experienced doing things that you couldn't imagine and being ashamed by it to experience and accepting the grace that comes by following Jesus. And this is some words that he said to some early Christ followers. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this new identity, when you speak of identities, is not just how I see myself, but it's just how I see. And what Paul is saying is, before you're a Christ follower, we do life our own way, but it's it's just like we're in the darkness. Have you ever tried to go through your room and find something with the lights off? I can't count how many times I've hit a bed or tripped on a shoe or a pillow in my own room. And I'm there every day. But in the darkness, I can't see and I stumble and I hurt myself. What Paul's saying is that's what life is like without Jesus. It's dark. And you're in this domain of darkness where it's all you see. And you stumble over things and you stumble over obstacles. Why? Because you like it? No, because you can't see it. And the new identity you have when you follow Jesus is that the light gets turned on for the first time. And you've seen only in darkness, when you follow Jesus, you now see in the light. And that's what happens when you decide to follow him. You get a new life, and you get a new identity. That which was dark now becomes light. And there's a third thing, and you get new perspective. And see, these build on each other. New life breeds a new identity. And as you have a new identity, you begin to see things differently. Because once the light's turned on, you now see things not as you always have. And he goes on further in the book of Colossians and he says this. And this is him talking about his desire for the church. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the richness of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge. So he's wanting early Christ followers and us today, for all who decide to follow Jesus, to have this picture that we can know God, even the mystery of Him, and Jesus. Like, we can't fully grasp how did somebody who was dead rise from the dead? It's, it's hard to even grasp. And we could be like Thomas in our understanding. Paul's writing, so that we all can know the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And check out verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What this is saying is once the light's turned on and you have a new identity, and you have a new identity because you have a new life, once that happens, you get to have access to wisdom and knowledge that you cannot have access to outside of trusting Jesus as He pushes you through life. Without believing him, you don't have access to this full wisdom and knowledge. It's like there's this access door. Have you ever been to, you know, a hotel and you've ever had your key and your key is to your room and you've used it all week. And then finally, you need to get into your room so desperately you go to use it and it does the little like red flash. And it's just kind of like, eh, sorry, And it talks to you. You're like, I got to get in here. And it's just, eh. you're like, what? Like, and then you're like, OK, cell phone technology, my cell phone wiped it out. Right. It's like your cell phone does that to anything. And then you go back, go back downstairs, you have to get a new key and then they type it in and you go in and you see that green light and the little, and you can unlock the door. What Paul is saying here is that without following Jesus and without a relationship with him, your key doesn't work to tap in to the full wisdom and knowledge that exists on the other side of the door. We can gain a lot of knowledge through education. We can gain a lot of experience through the life of hard knocks. But you can't have access to the full wisdom and knowledge of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we're going to talk about in this series is how a new life, how a new identity and a new perspective leads us to a brand new wisdom and knowledge that allows us in the aftermath and the waves and the rubble of what we experience, how to actually see things differently. Because let's face it. I don't need help. Seeing my problems. I know what my problems are. I need help knowing solutions to my problems. I need help of moving out of the aftermath. And that comes through relationship with Jesus. Because in him are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't have access by myself. But as I follow Jesus Christ, he has the access card. He's the way. And so he opens the door So I can step through to fully know him and to see life for how it really is. So you see, it's all connected. Perspective, identity, and life. That's what we celebrate on Easter. So I want to just shift gears really quick and kind of show you where we're going to head the next few weeks. I want to invite you back. Uh, If this is your first time at Church in the Valley, we're going to be speaking on the aftermath for three more weeks. And if you come next week and then you come the week after, you get to come to church and you can come to a picnic. So it's like a twofer. Okay? But I want to use the next few minutes just to kind of cause you to consider coming back. Because I think what we're going to do can be helpful. Okay? So today we're talking about hope restored. And it's restored because of what I've talked about. The new life, new perspective, and identity through Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, how to... Gain two key characteristics that help us to grow wisdom. And and what we find in life is that as we follow Jesus, it changes everything. Okay? That's what a Christian believes. When you follow him, when we follow Jesus, everything changes. Nothing is the same. Now, you have to work to experience that sometimes. And sometimes you can't see it. But through this new life and new identity, things change. But also, when you follow Christ, you can learn wisdom in the aftermath. So Christ followers can learn wisdom in the aftermath. That is, in the middle of the rubble, how do I rebuild? How do I rebuild? As you follow Jesus, the rebuilding starts with a new foundation. And that's where we started today. Hope restored is the new foundation that can come by following Jesus Christ. The second week, we're talking about setting the stage, like I mentioned, two key characteristics that help us to really grow, okay? Okay. The week after that, we're going to talk about leaning in. And that is, how do you become a coachable person? Somebody who learns in the middle of hard things. Because again, we need to learn differently and we need to see things differently for us to experience change. And in the last week, we're going to talk about the right questions. And that is, how does a relationship with Jesus and walking with him and growing in wisdom, how does that help us ask questions differently? I don't know about you, but when I'm in trouble, I have a question a lot. Why? And I sometimes do that. And I say, suck it up. You know, come on. Come on, out." But why? That, why is actually not the best question. So what other questions can we ask beyond just why me? I'd like to know that. The Scripture actually offers a lot of help. There's questions that we can ask in the middle of the aftermath that help us to not experience that in the same way. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So how do we grow in wisdom through a relationship with Jesus where we can experience these things? So I'm going to wrap up. I want to invite all of you right now, if you could pull out your connection card that Jeremy had you fill out. And I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to have another uh, couple songs, and we're going to receive our offering in a moment. And I want to invite you to drop that connection card in the offering as that comes by. And if you could fill that out, if you've not finished yet, uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, Put your name and email on the the front and on the back side. There's some next steps that you can take. Every week at Church in the Bible, we have these next steps. And this is to encourage you to take something that you've heard or you've learned or something that you want to do and actually put it into action. That's where we grow. Not just knowing more, but doing something with what we know. Okay? So the first thing is really important. If you have never decided to believe in Jesus like I've described, like that picture of getting in the wheelbarrow, and you might just be at a point today where you're ready to do that. You may have investigated what it means to be a Christian. You may have been around Christians for a while, but you've never decided to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to make that decision today. So the first next step is you can decide to commit to Jesus as the boss of your life. And if you've never done that and you check that, we'll send you some information. And we'll follow up with you so you can learn what it means to become a Christian, to believe in Him. So if you're interested in that, you can check that on the connection card. And the second thing is identify a current aftermath you right now are facing. I set up some possible scenarios that you could experience, but think through your life, what you're experiencing right now. Is there any rubble? Is there some waves? Is there some just unpleasant circumstances? The aftermath of what you're facing right now That's where God wants to speak to you. So identify that and ask God just for help and hope. And you may never have prayed before in your life, but today you could pray that. God, I'm facing the aftermath of a bad relationship. I'm facing the aftermath of some financial decisions that I regret. God, will you help me right now and help me to experience hope? That's a prayer. You just ask God. So you may want to do that. And then a third is to attend the rest of the series. Decide to come back and learn more about how to grow in wisdom as you follow Jesus. And then the last next step, which is not on your connection card, is I encourage you to participate in the activities that we have today at Easter. I know we probably have plans. We've got some meal plans. We've got some festivities going on. But as a church, it's a great opportunity for us to spend a little bit of time. Uh, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt following this. I invite you to hang out. We're going to have some activities and fun. If you've never been to this church, we have great people. I'm the pastor. I'm, of course, I'm going to say that. But we have people that actually really love and care about people. And so we, we don't want anyone to feel just isolated or disconnected from life or from people. And so it's a great way just to hang out and get to know people within the church. And so I, I encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and receive our offering. Let's pray together. Father, this is a day of of celebration. But for many of us, sometimes we we can't even think about the celebrating because of what we're facing. So the good news is, God, you know what we face. You know what we're going through. And as we turn to you, you do give us help. And you restore our hope through your son, Jesus. So we celebrate that because even with what we're going through, Jesus brings hope. So we thank you for him. We thank you that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And because he's alive, we can have new life. We can have a new identity and we can have a new perspective. So I pray for anyone that's going through some things that are just rough and overwhelming in the moment as they're struggling with, with life and its after effects. God, help them to see that you are the light that can lead them forward out of the darkness. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.